Everyone, welcome to the King and I podcast presented by our friends at Monster Energy. Don Maeda here with Jerry McGrath at his beautiful Encinitas home. Um, between shows, you're showing us the house. And all I could think about was your, your daughters, uh, Bergen and Rowan, like growing up in this house, right? <laughs> like <clears throat> you showed me that like playroom. Yeah. It used to be their toy room and everything. And now it's like sophisticated toys in there or whatever. It's more like a school desk room now. Yeah. But like, what has it been like for you? I mean, for me, I'm very thankful for my career that I've had. Right. And the the autonomy I've had with my career because, you know, as a magazine editor, I do my work at night or whatever. So like, growing up, I never missed any of my kids' youth. You know, like I got to go all their games Right. Soccer games and like, especially Megan, my younger, I never missed one high school game. Yeah. And so that's cool for me, right? I was able to do that. And <clears throat> it will provide them a, a comfortable childhood, you know, and get them whatever they wanted. Absolutely, but I mean, yeah. But dude, for you, that's like that level times a, a thousand, right? Like, is, do you well, ever you think know, like, man, you know, all this racing stuff was amazing. Like, look what the life you've given your wife and your kids. Yeah, it's it. It really is amazing, and I've said it before that you know having a racing life and then having a su- successful racing life is you know something I never dreamed of, right? So it's provided me a lot more than I could have ever imagined. <clears throat> Being able to be home for your kids is something that you can cherish. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of kids don't have that option with their parents home all the all the time, yeah. or may- flexible schedules at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> and you know, growing up, we didn't really have. Like we didn't, I didn't, we didn't have this life right here, right? You know, so yeah. I mean that that's not that's not how I grew up. So, you know, it's 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 great because I can provide, and you know, you can look from the outside and go, man, this is a, such a cool place to grow up, so big and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's not really about it's not really about the house. It's really about the relationship you have with the, the kids, and we have a great relationship with our girls. We just we love them to death. They love hanging out with us. We love hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun, and I've been really lucky in that way. Uh, you know, but I don't know. It's it's hard. You, you don't want to spoil them, right, even if you can. But yeah. the way Kim and I chose to have our house is, you know, our kids are the nature. You know, that's in their nature. They're going to grow up in that that atmosphere, right? So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, I I don't know. I just try to. I try to keep them humble and, you know, try to inject, you know, things that how we used to grow yeah, up, you know, values and things, values and things that, that, that are important in life and especially later in life. <clears throat> so, but it is tough. You know, we have, a, we have a good life. I'm not complaining. The girls have a great life, you mm-hmm. know, and they, they, we don't miss their games. We don't, you know, we yeah. go to all their stuff. They're pretty, you know, they got it pretty dialed in. And uh, so we, Kim and I have to check ourselves sometimes on some of the stuff, you know, because we're like, you know, it's just coming too easy to the kids and you got to teach them a little something. So, you know, <clears throat> being a parent's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard to try to instill all the values that we had. You know, things are different. My, yeah. Might have been different from me and you or any of us that grew up like that if our parents mm-hmm. were, you know, had more opportunity or had a better job or had, you know, this life that, that we have. So... Um, you know, it's in, it's interesting. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. We, 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 uh, we try to keep them, keep them down as much as we can. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
this is not normal, I don't think. <laughs> how, how old are your kids? Rowan? Uh, Rowan's 16 now. She just started yeah, driving. she just turned 16, right? Recently? Just turned 16 in December. And uh, Bergen's 14. So she turned 14 in January. Just so. Yeah. It's funny, uh, <coughs> you know, I've got two daughters. They're much older, about 27 and 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> all my friends, and it's kind of like a dirt bike buddy thing, right? Like, oh, dude, had another girl. You going to try for a boy? You know, for me, my answer was always like, no, dude, I'm stoked. You know, I love having two girls. Like, I, I grew up with two brothers. And yeah. so raising girls has been an adventure for me. And right. uh, they're like, oh, are they, they going to ride? And, like, my kids rode a little bit when they were little, right? Yeah. JR50 and a PW. Yeah, and that's, or that, that was my kids, too. Yeah, but yeah. it was like, the guys are like, oh, are they going to ride? I'm like, no, dude. Like, in the, in the woke culture now, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I used to go, oh, no, no, dude. I want them to, like, boys and get married and have husbands like oh you can bring them to the races i don't want them to like guys that much <laughs> or know? i don't want them to look like dirt bike guys yeah right? yeah exactly but, but how <clears throat> did having two daughters change you as a person you know i it's funny because i always imagined myself having kids when i was younger mm -hmm. but i'm glad i didn't i was there's no way i was ready for it i think i would have been a fun i still think i'm a fun dad but i mm -hmm. w i i always imagined having kids at a young age for some reason and um you know, I didn't, thank goodness, because I just wasn't responsible enough to be being, being a dad mm -hmm. and try to have a career and try to do all that stuff. So it was, uh, <clears throat> you know, the other thing was growing up, you always imagine like, oh, I can't wait to have a son, someone to golf with, someone to ride moto with, someone to BMX, mountain bike, whatever. Uh, but I think, you know, of course, I don't know. I don't have a son, but having two daughters has been really amazing. Like mm -hmm. they, they can do all the boy stuff. We, we do golf, we do mm -hmm. ride moto, we do uh, ride bicycles, we do a lot of stuff that I figure I'd be doing with, with a son. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I just don't have to spend my time at the track every weekend with a son that raced dirt bikes. Yeah. So I would look at that as a blessing. Yeah. You know, I mean, even when your kids, your daughters do something, you, you know, riding a bike or whatever, and you're mm -hmm. riding a motorcycle, you're kind of like, oh, man, ah, a little worried about them. I can't imagine having a son that's yeah, a, right? riding motocross. It's funny. It's, you think about the guys, the racers that are retired now, and, you know, early on in fatherhood, they're like, oh, my kid's going to, I'm buying them golf clubs. I'm not going to get them a dirt bike. Oh, for so sure. look yeah. at Nick Way's all in and Josh Grant's all in. And, like, mm -hmm. it's funny to see that, right? Yeah. It's funny. You know, you just... You just don't know. I mean, their kids, you know, they saw their dad. They're, every little kid wants to be like their dad, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, your your son wants to follow in your footsteps, wants to ride moto. I mean, you got Talon Volan's kid, mm -hmm. um, the Timmy Ferry's kid. Uh, it's, it's neat to see all of my friends that I raced with and their sons are ripping. So. Yeah. It's pretty cool, but I'm pretty thankful. You know, look, I, I still live the motocross life. I mean, I'm around it a lot, mm -hmm. but I can also take it and leave it when I want to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm learning other stuff, you know, like sports, team sports with lacrosse and, you know, different, the kids played soccer. They played Friday Night Lights, you know, yeah. which is ta flag football. Um, and I'm happy that I can get to experience that with them, you it, know? It's kind of cool learning something new, right? Like, like. My kids were big in soccer, and I didn't know anything about soccer. Yeah. I mean, like, like five five years into the thing, I'm like, 
How come sometimes it's a free kick and sometimes it's a throw <laughs> your corner kick? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's me too. I'm the same. You know, like I didn't know anything, but it was fun to experience that, right? And it's uh, expanded my... I Yeah, I mean, look, the way I look at it is we, we were actually going to try to have a son. Mm-hmm. But when Kim got breast cancer and then leukemia after that, um, we were kind of in the healing process. And then by the time she got through that, mm-hmm. thank goodness, we were kind of, we were too old to be having another mm-hmm. son. And yeah. I, I was already old enough when I had my daughters that I felt like it would be a little bit selfish if I had a kid and I was just an old dude and I had an eight-year-old kid, you know, and I was too old and decrepit to go out and do anything, which, yeah. you know, knowing what I know now, I'm just turned 50 I'm getting still plenty active I'm doing mm-hmm. plenty of stuff so I could it, it would have been fine but still I just think uh you know the way I look at it now is it was a blessing what happened to us Kim got through her stuff mm-hmm. we have two beautiful daughters and then now when I'm old I have two girls to take care of me so yeah yep. absolutely it's funny because uh like what I lost my mom when I was 23 or something mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm not going to be an old parent you know Right. And it was kind of funny, like going to the kids' school functions and everything. Like, I was like one of the youngest parents there and everything. Right. And it's like, it was cool because I got to be the cool dad, too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You were still young and hip. Yeah. But um, I think about you as a dad, and I think about that bus. <laughs> what was the deal with the school bus? Yeah. Well, for a few years, we had it. So, in our neighborhood here, there's no school buses. Uh-huh. We, all the parents drive to school. And so we live on this road here and then, you know, we have, the kids have several friends along the way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, growing up where I lived off the freeway there, I was the farthest from school. Yeah. <clears throat> but we had school buses. So that school bus life was a, was a big part of my life, big uh-huh. part of growing up, right? Because we spent, I spent two hours on a school bus every day, hour to school, hour home. Yeah. And I always thought, man, you know, it'd be cool to provide my kids with a cool bus experience. Yeah. And so, you know, that was kind of the idea, the brainstorm behind the cool bus. And then the cool bus came along and then, and uh, really it was just for a few years, we, we picked up other kids and we did it like on Fridays and I got a really cool system in there so they like could play their music and they were dancing all the way to school and it was just, you know, and then we took it like to school functions, school dances or whatever. Uh-huh. We'd plan to have all the kids at one house and then I would come and be the bus driver and, and did you have a uniform no uniform no <laughs> uniform no but it was kind of one of those things where it just started out as an idea and then um you know it served its purpose and then they got you know rowan got older and she's like ah nah yeah i ain't going to that no cool bus anymore so i was like okay cool time yeah. to sell it they sold to blackmore yeah blackmore has it now and uh <clears throat> looking sweet up at his ranch yeah um where'd, where'd you get the names rowan and bergen on the drive here, I was talking to Chase. And I'm like, are those like, do you know other people with those names or did you make I've, them? I don't know too many Bergens for sure. And Rowan, you know, you hear of some Rowans. A lot of times you hear Rowan as a boy's name, really. But mm-hmm. um, we spelled her name with R H O W A N, which is kind of the Irish way, you know? Um, but for the most part, it's like, I think that was Kim's apartment, mm-hmm. you know? Rowan's initials are RPM. So that's cool. Oh, yeah. And Bergen's BPM. Mm-hmm. Beats so, per minute. <laughs> beats per minute, revolutions per minute. Yeah. So I got to mix in a little of that. but. And Rowan is uh, your older daughter who races uh, side by side with you. Yeah, she's, she's, like she's, my, she's our oldest. <coughs> so she raced trophy carts when I was racing trucks for a long time, mm-hmm. probably five years. 
And now we're racing the Kawasaki, the KRX, you know, 1000, the mm -hmm. Terex. And in fact, we're going to go race the Mint next week. Oh, wow. And it's going to be Rowan's first off-road, like, desert race. Yeah. So I'm going to co-drive with her. It's going to be a hundred, like a 105-mile off-road desert loop. Yeah. And uh, for the first race, I'm going to probably ride shotgun with her. So nice. um, it'll be fun. Yeah, we're not. We're just trying to learn it, get mm -hmm. get started. Um, and I've been doing all that stuff, you know, with uh, King of the Hammers mm -hmm. with the Kawasaki and uh, now competed, been to that race three different times. So... Uh, yeah, this year we got I, we just finished King of the Hammers. Yeah, and I started fifty sixth, and ended up in twentieth overall, mm -hmm. and second in class. So we're getting better, nice. getting better, and uh, it's a grueling race. It's pretty pretty gnarly, gnarliest shit you've ever seen. You can't believe these side by sides can climb rocks like this and go over the stuff we do, but uh, it's certainly entertaining, technical. Mm -hmm. And I thought that in the beginning I would not have much fun doing it. Mm -hmm. But the more crazy stuff you climb over, and just because you're at a slow speed when yeah. you're rock crawling and all that stuff, it's really entertaining. I thought I might be bored because I'm not going so fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's plenty of desert sections too. So we're, you know, 70, 75 mile an hour on some of that. But, but the rock crawling and stuff, it's like, it's, it's so bitching. It's scary. It was scary when I went with you. <laughs> it's not that scary. You got to get used to it. But you definitely have bike eyes, right? Yeah. You have motorcycle eyes. And I had motorcycle eyes for a long time, which means when you see something, you're like, you think like, oh, like you're riding a dirt bike, like, oh, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. But when you're driving a car or a truck or an off-road side-by-side with big tires, you learn that you're not going to hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a little less scary. Yeah. So we'll cool. get you there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to go into our next segment, uh, What's Up with Jeremy, uh, presented by our friends at Arma. Endurance and action sports require peak performance from athletes' bodies and the proper nutrition before, during, and after these activities. Arma recognized a void in the marketplace and created a complete line of nutritional supplements formulated especially to help athletes and enthusiasts of all levels realize their maximum potential. They utilize not only the best ingredient combinations, but clinically proven dosages. Arma nutritional supplements have undoubtedly achieved best-in-class formulations. Visit armasport.com for more. So, uh, watching the broadcast uh, wasn't, maybe it was this week, last weekend, but the Science of Supercross that you work on with Callie, right? Yeah. It was uh, one on rhythm sections. Yeah, that was this week. about this past weekend, and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that's really cool. And it was really cool to hear you explaining it. And then they combined it with some GoPro or angles of yeah. the ruts and stuff. And you yeah. talked about the transitions and the body English. This whole science of supercross thing is, it's like one of my favorite things about the broadcast. How did you become involved in that? And like, how involved are you in the ideas for each show? Uh, I think it was a brainchild of, of like, you know, Nap, Derek Natvig. Mm -hmm. And uh, then of course, you know, I mean, it was a marketing thing with Cowie, right? Mm -hmm. And then we, we, it was a, sort of a really genius way to get some ad space, mm -hmm. but make it kind of sort of relatable to the public, right? Yeah. No, it's super interesting. And, it? you know, look, we're coming up on our 200th, I think it's 200th show. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I yeah. mean, they go by, you know, like go by, go by, go by. It's been like four years, five years. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, you know, how I became involved, obviously, is I'm a Cowie's ambassador, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm naturally going to be the host. I'm okay on camera. I don't mind being on camera. Um, they need an intro guy, right? But then I started mixing in, okay, this is what we should do. Here's some ideas. The trick to the whole show is trying to relate the relay the information to the public and get the pub, someone at home on the couch watching to understand. be able to understand it. Yeah. And that's the trick to it. You know, of course, you and I talk in moto. We can talk tech terms that nobody mm -hmm. at home might understand that doesn't know moto, that, that might be watching Supercross. So um, that's the trick to it. But recently, you know, we... You know, I was the intro guy for a long time. Then last year we did a, sec a segment with uh, Cameron McAdoo where we were on the track and talking about corners and different lines. Mm -hmm. This past week, we did rhythm sections and kind of how you, how, what a rider's thinking when he's coming into a rhythm section, mm -hmm. whether there's ruts on the face and whether there's not. Uh, so it's just kind of like trying to get the little insight of what the rider's think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I love this last week's segment because yeah. I got to be a little more involved and yeah I like, like how you're on the track and yeah you're like showing and so we've already got plans to go to another event mm -hmm. to get on track and do another couple of episodes and I think those really work best when you're at least when you're talking about moto stuff I know yeah. that some of the science of supercross stuff talks about other things um, such as hydration such as mm -hmm. different things riders do before races whatever but doesn't always relate to me being there and being on the track but yeah. in this in this those instance are, it worked well those are my favorites yeah right? i think so too i i thought they were like i mean i think there's been a couple better. where i was like oh they're running out of things to talk about <laughs> they're like had some doctor talking about like how the brain processes something right 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 and no, we went to all, that doctor in dallas that was in dallas yeah, yeah. but still i was kind of like well it's a little sophisticated i don't, I don't know but the stuff like this most recent one was really right cool right right i mean you know as you know being yeah. a motocrosser yourself and a fan that you can go, there's so much in depth you can talk about. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the same corner five different ways, yeah. right? So we have shows upon shows. It just depends how deep we want to get into it, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's exciting. Kawasaki's done a great job, and Derek and Pam and, and Brent, the team we shoot with, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we have a lot of fun. We, you know, we go over scripts and different ideas. We talk about ideas of what we should shoot, mainly the, the subject matter is Derek. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to life, we talk about how to talk about it. You know what I mean? So um, hardest part for me is just remembering the scripts because, you know, it's all by memory. <laughs> so luckily I don't have to remember two or three or four paragraphs or a whole segment of anything. I just We just do it a little bit at a time and mm -hmm. it works out. Yeah, you know, it's funny about uh, <clears throat> the way you're explaining stuff, right? Um, through the years working as a magazine editor and writing like these how-to stories and everything there's like so many writers that are just like fast and talented it comes natural don't they know how to explain it they don't know how to break down the the technique and explain it and and uh teach someone or, or yeah to analyze it but that's definitely a gift that you have well um, i didn't really know that i mean luckily i just can i'm not afraid to talk right so uh i didn't know that i'd Trust me, when we first started, the, the trick to it was trying to figure out how to relay the information in a very mm -hmm. simple way. And, uh, of course, I've gotten a little bit better at it because we practiced at it. But, um, you know, look, you can only explain it so many different ways in a, in a two-minute mm -hmm. segment, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have a good time. It's a fun segment. Kawasaki's done a great job with it. 
and I think the fans really dig it. It's taken on a life of its own, mm -hmm. and the, I mean, I I enjoy it even the ones I'm not talking in because I'm mm -hmm. learning too. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. cool. The breakdown of it's really cool. I like it. You know, in your roles uh, since you retired uh, with the race teams and stuff, have you worked as an advisor and like tried to coach some younger riders or? Mm -mm. See, that, that that seems like for me like with uh, RV over at Yamaha, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, are you working with? No, no, they just want me talking about boats and pianos and this and anything Yamaha. But like, there's this wealth of knowledge here with you. I don't know why Cowie wouldn't have you helping. Well, listen, you can't put a square peg in a round hole, right? So yeah. the riders have to really be open to it. Mm -hmm. And everybody's different and they are willing to talk about or maybe a, even bounce an idea off someone like... Mm -hmm you know, me with this wealth of knowledge in the sport and such experience. Uh, but, I mean, let's... Like, what if a rider now, like a top 250 guy, called you and said, Jeremy, I want you to be my riding coach. Yeah. Do you even yeah. have time for that? Or are you just like, ah, no thanks? It's flattering, and it's happened mm -hmm. from all the best guys. Yeah. But I've, I've also said no to all of it. Okay. Because I just don't... Uh, I love the sport. And I'll help any of these guys, but I'm not a riding coach. Yeah. And believe me, I think I could be a great riding coach, but I'm not a riding coach. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I I enjoy it. Like I've been out with different guys and help help them with stuff. And in fact, there's a few calling now to talk about starts and mm -hmm. things that I was good at too. So there's some of that maybe in the backdrop working a little bit right now. But you know. These guys have a lot of confidence, and let's, I mean, granted, they're a lot faster than I ever was at this point, you know what I mean? So uh, maybe some of it applies, some of it doesn't, but I tell you what I do have over a lot of the guys is my mental strength, because I always thought that was my most most precious uh, talent that I had, is mm -hmm. the, the headspace that I could get in. So, um, you know, it's, it's neat when they call, but I'm, you know, I'm not knocking it. I'm just not a. No, I'm just not a riding coach. Okay, yeah. what are your thoughts on uh, your 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 arm of partners, right? Nick Way and and AC. Um, like Nick is a coach, right? Right. Like people could never argue with you as a coach, right? Like, oh, look what he's accomplished. Look at all the titles, seventy-two wins, and but like Nick, he's a great right, coach. Right, but is Nick he, a riding coach or is he a trainer? I think he's both, right? Right, he's a little bit but, of both. But I mean, you look at a guy like AC who works with Nick, right? Yeah. AC's accomplished, you know, title-wise, right. race-wise, more than right. Nick did. But Nick has got that personality, right? Where his right. wheels are always turning and right. he's able to break down things. Right. And, he's great yeah. at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, my opinion is this. Some guys are cut out for it. Nick's mm -hmm. great at it, right? Yeah. And let's take a guy like Adam Cincerello who's very accomplished resume probably longer than mine to be honest uh especially in the amateur side of things mm -hmm. but you know everyone needs a little kick in the butt and sometimes it's hard to find the motivation when you're doing this stuff every day so you need a little someone there sometimes and and my guy at the time was gary Semix. was he mm -hmm. a, was he my riding coach not really was he my trainer not really but he was my guy there that would keep me honest yeah right and and give me the truth when i needed it mm -hmm. right 
uh, I think the one attribute these guys need to really be, really be open to is, is hearing the truth. Yeah. Right? Because there's a lot of people that want to tell them they're the greatest and tell them yes all the time on everything. Mm -hmm. But it's the guys that tell them the truth are the ones that are the most important. And I think Nick's one of those guys, you know, we, uh, you know, the, it's a tough sport, mm -hmm. but it's not always going to go great. And, and even, even if someone, you know, someone looking from the outside can give you a few hints, a few tricks at the trade, just a few little snippets of what you could work on, even mm -hmm. as a great rider, it can help, right? Cause it just can give you that little extra confidence. And this sport is one of those sports that you need a lot of confidence in to believe that you can do it. And, uh, We've seen a lot of great guys Monday through Friday, but aren't very good on Saturdays. Yeah. And I raced with a lot of those guys. Um, you know, I wasn't always the fastest guy on Monday to Friday. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I was, but a lot of times I wasn't. But I'll tell you what, on Saturday I always was. Yeah. So, um, you know, those those are the kind of things that I can put it in perspective from my point of view. But, um, you know, look, everybody's different, and they it's a big, giant puzzle for each one of these guys that are trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you think, Jerry? You ready for a fan question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always love the fan questions. Let's, so the, let's see so what they got. The fan question segment is brought to you by our friends at Maxxis Tires. From your bike to your truck and almost everything in between with wheels, Maxxis Tires will have you hooking up, pulling the whole shot, and beating your competition. One of the world's most trusted tire brands, Maxxis delivers high-quality tire products that perform no matter what the terrain or conditions. If you don't believe me, ask the King Jerry McGrath. Visit Maxis.com for more. So once again, I put the call out for questions from fans on my uh, Instagram account. Um, so a guy named Steve Bobrovsky asked, he said, hey, throw this question in the pot for Jeremy. It wouldn't let me type it out in the question, you know, the, the story thing. So he DM'd me. Uh, being that you're one of the greatest racers to ever touch our sport, how did you deal mentally with the transition to retirement after such a truly dominant racing career? <clears throat> It's a great question, Steve, right? Steve Bobrovsky. All right, good question. So as you know, when I retired, my retirement party wasn't the one I imagined in my head, right? I was uh, angry at Yamaha, switched to KTM. KTM wasn't ready for me, kind of promised a new bike, didn't deliver, and sort of that was the ending. Right, so not the storybook ending that I have, had ever imagined, like riding off in the sunset for factory Honda and being this legendary guy, or Yamaha for that matter, right? Three Supercross championships. Uh, they hadn't won a Supercross title since 1981. Then I get on the bike in 98, and I win three titles, get second and third, and they put me out the pasture. So not kind of retirement welcoming party that I <laughs> had expected, to be honest. Yeah. So how did I deal with it? Well, it was a rough ending, right? Because I was just not riding well and I knew that I could ride well. Uh, struggled with some back issues in 2002. Mm -hmm. um, 2003 was like, that was when I did the KTM thing. Um, and then I retired. Well, in 04, I started testing with Honda. In 05, I came back and raced some races, which I think was such a blessing because uh, honestly, what Carmichael's done, how we just dropped it, stopped racing. Mm -hmm. It had to be so, so hard. 
Um, I was still getting my riding. I was still loving riding. One of the things I promised myself was that when I quit racing, I didn't want to hate my motorcycle. And I think I held true to that promise. Even though the situation wasn't great when I retired, I still loved my motorcycle. So mm -hmm. I was still riding every day and riding like I was going to race. Mm -hmm. And uh, things got pretty good in 04. I was me and you know, Kehoe were doing some stuff with the Honda. I was testing for the race team, riding Supercross. Fonseca was there, uh, Andrew Short, Trey Kennard, I think even when he first got there. So it was, um, it was really, really a cool time. Mm -hmm. I was able to get my fill racing and then in 05 and 06 get to race a little bit. No pressure of points championships, just mm -hmm. go out and have some fun, try to race. And uh, ended up getting a couple fourths, two or three years retired, right? So yeah. for me, that was like a win. You know, I was like, okay, people know I can still ride. Yeah. Now I can put it down because I went out on my own terms. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I wasn't winning races, but there was, you know, Reed, Carmichael, and Stewart. Mm-hmm you know, three of our greatest sports champions that were in the race and I was finishing fourth. I did four two weeks in a row to those three guys. So yeah. for me, I was like, that's a win. And I get the whole shot award, right? So yeah. I would lead laps and then get fourth to those three. So I was like, all right, now that's a good way to go out right there. Yeah. And uh, so that's, I was able to put the sport down slowly. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I would have had a hard time maybe having to stop instantly yeah. And I did, you know, I think most of the, the most frustrating part was that I couldn't show that I could still ride mm -hmm. and walk away on my own terms. And, and I think with the Honda situation in the, you know, 2000s there, I got to really wind it down on my own terms. And I think that was important. Um, you've seen a lot of guys come back and race after they retire mm -hmm. and uh, have a hard time with it. So. Luckily for me, I still had, you know, I mean, I have great relationships within the sport. I was able to hang and ride and go to whatever, wherever place I wanted to go and, and do all that. So it's been fun. I'm just lucky to still be in the industry, still be able to work because mm -hmm. um, I just don't know what I'd do if I didn't have something to do. Yeah. Uh, I love being a parent, but I love the sport so much. So, um, you know, great question. It was nice. I think that I was really lucky in a way that I got to put it down slowly. Mm-hmm. So. You know how you hear about like uh, like stick and ball sport mm -hmm. athletes or you know other extreme sports but like guys retire and then go through that like depression of not yeah. being in the spotlight or anything. Right. Like, you don't seem like the personality type that would be depressed about not being in the spotlight because the spotlight follows you wherever you go. Well, you know, look, it's not like I walk around like wanting everyone to follow me where where I'm going. Mm -hmm. It's nice. It's it's great that I've had such an awesome career to to have that happen and make great relationships good friends all over the industry mm -hmm. and everyone seems to pay attention with whatever i do which is nice but it's not purpose on purpose mm -hmm. i do miss racing at night with the lights on yeah you know like there's no better feeling than supercross and come flying out of that gate and leading a race in front of sixty thousand fans there's no better feeling than that so i do miss that part of it uh <clears throat> but i don't miss the work that goes in to do that mm -hmm. you know i i don't like, look, I went riding, uh, what, a week ago? And I hadn't ridden in almost six weeks. So I, you know, and I wasn't like Jones in a ride. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay not riding these days, you know? Mm -hmm. I just missed the racing part of it. The racing's so fun. The adrenaline. 
Yeah, just that shot of adrenaline when you come out of the gate. and Every Saturday night when I'm watching Supercross, I'm like, man, I missed that part right there. But, you know, if I tried to ride some laps, it'd just be, it'd be pitiful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> these days, you know what I mean? But then you still raced other things. I mean, tell me a little bit about the Supermoto era, right? Like, was that... I mean, I only did Supermoto just to do X Games. Yeah. Because they didn't have Supercross in X Games, and I just wanted to do X Games. Mm-hmm. So we were riding Supermoto back then, and, and uh, really just Honda built some bikes so we could do Supermoto. Troy Lee. Yeah, Troy We was were doing it. We went. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, before it was in X Games, Supermoto became really popular. There was a little series. Me and Troy and some buddies, we'd roll around in a motorhome, and we just had a blast. I was retired, mm-hmm. didn't. And it was just really all about fun, dude. I, I like riding two wheels, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. And Supermoto was really, really a good time. Then got to compete in X Games, mm-hmm. got a couple medals, some thirds and second, I think. Uh, and then finally they had Supercross. I finished second, I think, one year. Mm-hmm. And then I won Step Up one year. So, uh, you know, X Games for me was, I competed probably in eight or 10 different events throughout the years and pro- have three or four medals. So. That was a success. And then uh, off to racing trucks, off-road. Mm-hmm. And then now side-by-side? Side. Yeah, side-by-side side now is just, it's an extension of what I'm doing with Cowie. So mm-hmm. um, mainly just want to do it because my girls love it. Mm-hmm. We go out on the weekends and, and do side, and like ride side-by-sides all over. Mm-hmm. Ocotillo, Superstition, San Hollow, Utah. Uh, we kind of go all over the place doing it. So the, the re- competing part of it is just a little extension of that. Yeah. Just all for fun. Still, once a competitor, always a competitor, right? I've said it before. If a bathtub had wheels, I'd race that too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to take a trip down memory lane with the Bell Helmets back in the day. Bell Helmets was established in 1954. They're the makers of the Moto 10 Spherical and the choice of professionals like Eli Tomac, Cooper Webb, our own Jeremy McGrath, Dylan Frandis, and Pro Circuit Racing. The Mel Moto 10 Spherical's official helmet of the Life on Two Wheels vlog, and sadly, I've put them to the test several times. <laughs> so uh, visit bellhelmets.com for more. So uh, during our trip down the McGrath hallway of uh, motocross legends, we came across the Dingleberry helmet. Which yeah, is which a, is this, this is a Moto not eight. Moto right? eight. Or no, is that a seven? That's a seven because the eight was more square. So uh, yeah, maybe seven because look at the the liner. Yeah. Remember the old school liner right there? Moto seven. Yeah. BC ethic. Remember those clothes? What was that was clothes Ty. or shoes? That was Troy's buddy, Ty. Yeah. That was cool. So a lot of cool things on that helmet. I mean the Mazda sticker even. Yeah, so I mean, this is a timestamp, obviously, and I think it... I think this helmet is from 99, might be 2000, but anyway, we're always coming up with ideas and trying to have funny, you know, Troy and I over the years have come up with some crazy stuff. I mean, we have, uh, you can look at this book right here. It's got like a flag off the back. Um, So every year for Anaheim is when we kind of always came up with something that was different, right? and this year we thought <laughs> we thought it'd be funny to put lampshade dingleberries <laughs> around your helmet, around my helmet. 
And we've had tail lights, we've had lights off of here, we've had flag, we've had all kinds of stuff. Uh, and even Troy tried to put like sparklers off my helmet one time where I touched my fingers and it was supposed to shoot off. It didn't work on the parade lap thing. But yeah. this is actual race helmet. So one race, one win, and definitely an original design here. The funny thing is, is the idea is pretty funny, right? It looks cool. The idea is cool. But when you put this helmet on, it covers your neck. Yeah. So it looks really funny from the side. It looks like you don't have a neck. Yeah. You know? So I remember in pictures, it. it was hilarious because yeah. you're like, man, it looks so weird. So anyways, that's I my story. From the, from the side of the track, it looked like you had a beard hanging out. Oh, right. Well, I was known to have one of those yeah. at a certain time, but not at that time. Um, but, uh, got some No Fear on there. Went ahead and collect. Kicker Audio, of course, which is yeah. still a sponsor of mine. Um, and then yeah. old, old Irons Company back in the day here. But we got Mazda on the side. And that was old Jack Stefana, right? Stefana? Yeah, yeah name, I, think I think so. And uh, we, drove, we drove Yamaha trucks on our Chaparral Mazda Yamaha team. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was quite a uh, non-endemic sponsor to have. Was that? Well, we had both of them, right? 1-800-COLLECT was MCI, which mm -hmm. is a big phone company. And then we had Mazda. So yeah, we had a couple, couple sponsors that were non-endemic. Yeah. Oh, BC Ethic under the visor. Which Did made that, like go-out clothes, which was kind of cool. Go-out clothes. You know, Vegas back then we were doing movies and had premieres and all mm -hmm. that. And you had like Vegas clothes, man. <laughs> Remember the, we had the spy sunglasses with the yellow lenses and all oh, the yeah. Vegas orange yeah. lenses. Me and Button and Phil Lawrence and going crazy. and The white frames, too. Yeah, white frames, like custom painted frames. <laughs> yeah, we had some wild, yeah. When you were racing with that, mm -hmm. did you, wait, did you, you saved it for the night show or you didn't ride practice with it, right? No, just, you, just you for the night out. show. So... Had you ridden with it previously? Did, did the things, the little chingus things hit you in the neck? No. Was it bothersome? No. No, I never didn't notice. They're so short, really didn't notice. Yeah. And when you're going at speed, they're probably like blowing back. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, so you don't, you don't really notice. There's none in the back, so. Now, I'm sure there's people out there kids that went out and put dingleberries on their helmets right <laughs> after that right because yeah maybe i remember when you popped out with the uh, american flag on the back mm -hmm. the next day at paris there's already kids with uh, american flags on the back of their helmet yeah and then the well, tail lights right tail lights here the speed fin mm -hmm. when when troy put that on my helmet it was yeah. like they were and there's new companies out that are now have fins you know mm -hmm. it's pretty cool moto fin moto fin but yeah the uh the tail light i remember everyone had yeah those. well then troy put tail light he put a light in this mm -hmm. there was one of these speed fins that had an actual light in it but the tail light one was uh basically a cadillac design yeah because the whole helmet was all flat mm -hmm. and it had like pinstripe you know so that was one of the um that was one of my favorites was that one of the meetings you look forward to the most was going down to troy's before anaheim and conceptualizing your new bell helmet yeah, I mean, it really was. We, still, Troy and I still do that today. Yeah. Like, we, we get in there and come up with funny ideas and what, whatever it is, you know. Uh, we would have a year's worth of stuff to look at and, like, different stuff in the world that would come out and you're like, oh, hey, what about, you know, that? And what, this is popular now. And, yeah. And uh, 
yeah. It was it was always a really fun time. I love hanging out with Troy. He's like one of my best friends, you know. So mm-hmm. even today, like we go ride mountain bikes and we drink beer afterwards and we laugh and we like any kind of idea. He's the greatest part for me was is that Troy's career as a painter and my career as a racer kind of paralleled. At the same time, yeah. Yeah, like in 1990 when he had Warty and Chicken. He was just getting started. He was in the hangar airport over at Corona mm-hmm. Corona Airport. Yeah. The hangar over there. And so his he grew in popularity and business as I grew in racing. Mm-hmm. And we always say this to each other. Like, I helped shape Troy Lee mm-hmm. because I was winning a lot and we, we were doing all this crazy stuff. And then he helped shape my image, right? Because yeah. I was always known as having the helmets and all the cool mm-hmm. stuff. So... Um, you know, who doesn't get along with Troy? He's a he's one of the greatest guys in the industry for sure. But uh, obviously, super artistic and um, really was a very monumental in my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how cool is it now that like at fifty, right, retired for you know this long, you still have a replica Bell helmet like the the new Moto Ten McGrath. I've seen it; it's coming out. It's cool. But like, there's kids still buying your helmet. Well, you know, they always say it skips a generation, which luckily for me, it never did, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, again, part of the part of the history of all these helmets is a lot of them only were out once or just for a few times. So mm-hmm. there's plenty that we can choose from. And you put this paint job on a current helmet and it looks amazing. Still looks good. So, um, you know, and of course, if you look at my old, old helmets, the old replicas that Bell made that were similar to this, the 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 process was not very good mm-hmm. right really but they've not. now gotten really good yeah. so they can almost make a graphic look like a paint job mm-hmm. and so um you know bell is one that's leading the way when it comes to that the graphics um, i'm still obviously thankful to be part of the company part of part of the team mm-hmm. and part of the history um so yeah it's uh it amazes me still to be able to be in the industry and you know i thought that i'd be way out of out of things by now and not not really able to work and you know i guess it's just it's a testament to relationships really because Mm -hmm. i've just have some great friends and become great friends with a lot of people and enjoy everyone's you know we all enjoy the same passions right it's dirt bike so uh, it's been great yeah it's been a fun journey to watch you take yeah, I don't know. I just hope people don't get tired of fifty-year-old paint, you know, fifty-year-old guys' paint designs. So, <laughs> right. I don't think you will. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, that wraps up uh, episode four <clears throat> of the King and I podcast, presented by Monster Energy. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to uh, like and subscribe, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. <laughs>